You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Scoped Out Shooting Optics and Accessories. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. My name is Rusty. This is episode number 53. And uh, with me tonight is Andrew to my right. How are you, Andrew? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Rusty. Thanks. And yourself? Yeah, good. Good, mate. And uh, over there is Greg, who looks quite tired. No yeah, surprises there. Pretty knackered, mate. Yeah. But, uh, we'll, we'll how are you? Oh, <laughs> about the Probably, same, mate. Yeah. We'll get on to that uh, shortly. And joining us via uh, the wonders of the internet is uh, Ben Jarrett up in the Gold Coast. Ben, how are you? Good, Rusty. How are you? Yeah, going well, mate. Going well. Thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, my pleasure. No problem. Now, we'll get into your story a little bit uh, as we go along, but um, what are we, a few days after Shot Expo? No one, that's why Greg and I are feeling pretty uh, pretty wrecked, <laughs> despite a good couple of hours of sleep, mm. uh, or a couple of days sleep. Mm. Um, how did you find it, Greg? Oh, no, it was good. It was good. Um, busy. Um you know, there's some pretty big crowds go through. Um, yeah, it had about 17,000, which I think is the biggest shot expo that yeah, is it? sounds pretty big. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I did get around only a few times because we were so busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was helping out St- uh, Sean from STS Targets uh, on his stand, but, um, um, you know, you get out in that crowd, it's like, whoa, you know, it was oh, so yeah. thick on all the stands, and uh, it's good to see so much interest. Um, but, yeah, there was... There's a few new toys getting around that were yeah caught, so, caught a few eyes, I think, not just mine. All right, so um, uh, Ben, you're also on the line, and, and you said yep. you saw something on some photos. What did you see, mate? I, I did uh, I did notice on Facebook, aside from some of the really Gucci stuff, also, did you guys invent a new drink down there? Is that... Did you put that on Facebook? This, this, is, uh, is correct, I don't know if it's still up or if you pulled it oh, down. This no. is not quite what we were intending for you to say, but... But, we, no, uh, I think it's fair conversation. Yeah. It's fair. We perhaps, did, perhaps we can come back to it if you prefer. No, we, did, we did, did put really it, like the Aztec stuff. <laughs> we we <laughs> did put it up on Facebook, so we can cover it. We uh, We... Uh, in a moment of either inspiration or stupidity, one of the two. Uh, oh, the that, line's very fine. <laughs> thought that the uh, the idea of putting a shot of turkey into a pint of Kilkenny. Uh, we got a bit of a tradition on uh, on Shot Expo trips of always going to an Irish bar somewhere. And so Kilkenny's always on the menu and uh, we do like wild turkey, hey, Greg? Yeah, no, that's my favourite. Yeah, yeah, so we, uh, we may have dropped a, a shot into Kilkenny mainly because then we could call it a kill turkey. Yeah, yeah, we thought that we, <laughs> we thought the name was 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 worth drinking yeah. to. So. Don't, don't know whether it will take the world by storm, but it no, was still. I, I, I enjoyed it. I drank it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well put. That's, that's, well put. Yeah, that's not always a good thing, but yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, in terms of other things that you saw on on Facebook from <laughs> yes, shot, the yeah, Oztec, uh, yeah, the Oztec uh, chassis. Um, mm. Aside from the um, some obviously great uh, product ambassador that they had at the stand. Um, Were you on the stand, Greg? I didn't, I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> My thoughts there went straight to someone a little more feminine than Greg, but... Yeah, okay. yes. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, that, that uh, looks like a really nice piece of equipment. Um, looks sort of similar to a... Uh, a KRG sort of whiskey chassis in, in a in a certain way, but but not quite. So yeah, it's probably probably from from what I saw is closer to a MPA Masterpiece Arms sort of chassis. It's it's not exactly okay. that, but it's it's yeah. perhaps closer to that than the the whiskey. But certainly the quality level is up there. Yeah, like ironically, we were just talking about this before we started, or before we got you on the line tonight, Ben and. Same deal, like just uh, well, I wasn't there at show, but um, Greg and Rusty made the comment that it just it really sort of exuded quality mm. in the hands, you know, it didn't yeah. come across as being a, a cheaply made or finished piece of goods, it was it was up there, so yeah, and certainly, yeah. you know, being Australian made, I'd, I would hope to see that you know start mm. to feature maybe a yeah. little bit more. And you know, for me, um, you know, I'm no I'm not very experienced with chassis, but it did feel very light. Is that lighter than? Comparable chassis are about on um, par. It's uh, it was appropriately weighted, perhaps yeah. is the the way to say it. It wasn't okay. super super light. It wasn't heavy at all. Yeah, yeah. We we were fortunate enough, Ben, um, 
Ben from Outdoor Sports, um, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, Outdoor Sports, which is Oztex Arms, mm-hmm. as well, um, put one on our stand as part of yeah, as part yeah. of the show, and so we did get to finger that some fair amount, yeah, quality time with it, yeah. and um, did give him some feedback on it, and he had said that there are, that was a prototype, and there are some things that to be changed, but the quality was in, impressive, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's not a it's not an MDT competitor. It's the next level up. It's you know mm. sort of sixteen hundred dollar yeah. mark, and and yeah, sort of is a, is a step up from there. So yeah, well worth yeah. Uh, well worth considering. Oh, the price point that uh, that stock or well, that chassis came in at that's certainly you know within the realms of where it should be. You mm. know, you look yeah, at the well, price truly. of you know the other chassis, you know AI stocks and that sort of thing as well. They're certainly right up there. So hopefully it'll get patronised well here. Yeah. Is that that aimed at sort of the the long range shooting sort of platforms and and that sort of thing in terms of its design? It certainly looks that way. Yeah, it's probably really geared towards the the PRS style long range sort of gear. They they do have another yeah. model coming online, which perhaps is a little lighter and and sort of favours the hunter, um, hunt, more of a hunter cross into PRS versus a PRS yeah. cross into long range. I I think from what I can see from what I play with but yeah. they only they only had a, a picture of it not a physical stock there. Yeah, what were the fu- what were the fundamental differences just cut downs or Uh yeah so look I'll bring up a photo up um and and sorry Ben we what were you going to say mate because I'll I'll bring um, this up and have a look. Yeah while you're bringing that up I do know that uh, GC precision in the ACT um is is um, gentlemen, there's making chassis that are specifically for hunting, okay, um, and 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 sort of works on very light materials and that sort of stuff. And he's also started putting hardy barrels, carbon wrapped barrels, in these rifles as a, in an effort to sort of you know make them hunter weight, yep. but with a with a chassis. Yeah, I've so, seen that. They he specialises in t- using taker actions, doesn't he? They look really good from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, I believe that. I think the double SWA mag might have run a yeah, a, um, yep. an article in one of his in one of their more recent magazines about them. Yeah, okay, It'd be worth worth finding yeah. out about it. Are, are these ones, from what I saw at the show, they were um, set up for Rem seven hundreds, Tiggers, and Howers. So good to have sort of a good mix of the um, the major, I guess, footprints. Available. Um, in terms of the other one, which I look, I could have this wrong, but I think it's called the Pegasus. It's got a little. Doesn't have the rail, the Picatinny rail under the forend. It's got like a little palm grip, um, probably similar to yeah. the EWS from M from yeah. yep, yep. And um, and yeah, obviously just just some weight cut out of it. I'm I'm sure the rear of that it looks different as well, but I couldn't tell exactly what. Um, and the big thing I know that the the Aztec or the both of them look like. Is they're adjustable both in cheek height and length of pull, yeah. and they're adjustable on board. So you press a button and it moves up, and they they lock in very solid. You know, sometimes those adjustments yeah. you push on them, you pull them up, and then they sort of have a fair bit of wobble in them. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's there's nothing there. There's nothing no movement there. at all. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, they might be a bit stiffer to lift up or push back, but I mean, you're not doing <sighs> that regularly. Doing that, no, yeah. that's yeah. right. Once yeah. you once you're sort of set, you're not going to tend to move it a lot. So, yeah, absolutely. Greg, was there anything else that you saw that you liked? Yeah, um, I got my first hands on the the new. Was it Tech Attack? Oh, the uh, T. Yeah, the Tech A One. The Tech A One. Yeah, yeah and that's a nice little, nice little setup. I, yep, I really liked it. Um, yeah, I guess I've got not not a lot more to say <laughs> about it, but it's just a nice tidy little rifle. Yep, uh, in a tidy little chassis with a nice smooth action. Um, I don't think you could go too far wrong as a starting point for a lot of people. Sure. Um, yeah, it was good. Good little gun. Yeah. You uh, were mentioning before we started recording that you uh, fondled a little bit more thermal equipment, yeah, Greg. Yes, yes. I'm a, I'm a thermal <laughs> fanboy, and I uh, went over to uh, Extra Vision. Were at the show, who are the distributor for Pulsar um, Thermal. So I went over. Uh, Tim from Extra Vision run me through one of the new uh, Hallian. Uh, thermal spotters. Um, Is that after you walked up the uh, the red carpet towards yeah, the, yeah. the booth? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> the private so, suite. So yes. I got my own. yeah. Anyway, no, yeah, I won't say was. that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it, uh, yeah, it, I was really impressed. Really, really impressed. Um, so yeah, some really nice gear getting around. Um, they've they've taken a 
or Pulsar anyway, have taken a bit of a step forward in, in you know, resolution and, and um, features. Uh, yeah, very, very nice bit of kit. Um, yeah, so th- that was th- they were probably the major highlights for me, Rusty. Cool. Yeah, I saw a um, – or oh, I had a bit of a play with that new Swarovski spotter. I couldn't tell you the name of it, but it has the, – it's like a set of binos at the back and then they get shoved into a um, uh, into a spotting scope at the front. And so effectively it's using two eyepieces for one spotting scope. And I'll tell you. Okay. Um, so I, I obviously I spend a reasonable amount of time behind a spotting scope um, when we're training guys. And for some reason my eyes, if I do that and I keep my left eye closed for half an hour, an hour, maybe more, um, I, I end up with a bit of double vision going on when I've got both eyes open. So I end up keeping that left eye closed pretty much all day, um, which I'm sure is probably not great for my eyes. So um, there's there's ways I've sort of tried to mitigate that and it doesn't happen as much now. But um, this would actually eliminate that completely for me, being able to look through the, the bino setup and seeing utilising a spotting scope really well. And it was really comfortable. It had a little like, rest for your forehead. So you're leaning like into this thing and got your forehead resting on it and... Yeah, the, the, I mean, it's a Swarovski, so the clarity is really clear. Um, I mean, yeah, spotting scopes, are, they're at the top of the game, really. So it's, the price is up there as well, but, um, you know, you, 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 you do get what you pay for in that regard. Yeah, there's sort of no free rides when it comes to optics, really, is there? No, and they were like a 30 or 35 power um, magnification, but they had this little device they could put in between, the, the effectively, the binos and the spotter for an extender which would double or increase increase the magnification by 1.7 i think so it increased it you know to quite a, a workable uh, magnification on it mm. very interesting i have to check that out yeah well well worth a little look um on it the what else do we see that was was good um craig you look you look like you'd even thought about something you, no 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 i was just trying to think whether you're trying to look I intelligent <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, well, you fooled you fooled me. Really helps on a podcast. <laughs> but um, no, I was just trying to think. But I, I didn't actually get out too often because the crowd was a bit thick. No, so you're, just, you're right, oh, mate. Oh my god, I'm getting out of here and just hiding at the back of the stand. <laughs> um, um, but no, I've pretty much covered off on what I wanted to cover off on. Yeah, the uh, the other thing that I thought was good, and we didn't actually see it during the show, but I saw photos of it afterwards, and of course we spent some time with Cameron. But um, Hatcher oh, stocks, yes. So so we met Cameron uh, mm. Sydney, I reckon. Yeah. At the show there, and it's his first show, and he's now sort of building stocks. Um, first aftermarket stocks I've seen for Lithgow's. Yeah. And yeah, they're looking. He's doing really facsimile good. stocks, isn't he? Yeah. So he basically copies of stock into whatever wood you choose so mm. um, uh, so if you wanted to say get a manners profile or a, you know something that you've seen that you really like but you know you want to see it in in a native timber he can he can do that exactly so right i know i, I plan on using i had a big chat with him at the show that i've actually got a broken stock at home and i've i've had trouble replacing it it's a stock for a for an air rifle and um, so I'll send that up to him, you know, probably just, he'll probably just glue it together so he can do a copy and send me back a copy in a, a new stock, which is an exact replica in, in, in a stronger wood, hopefully. So that's, that's the plan. Um, but yeah, very interesting that he can copy yeah. stocks like that. He yeah, had no. a Tika Varmint copy stock and it looked identical. It's quite, quite yeah. impressive actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's done well. Certainly was suggesting to him to perhaps go down the line of, uh, um, like a, a, a manners style feel stock in timber, um, which if uh, any of you guys have seen the foundation stocks out of the US. I was about to say, I have seen some years ago, I saw a guy was doing effectively Macmillan A5 and A3, I think, copies okay. out of yep. various timbers and they look pretty good. I, mm. They weren't exactly the same, I think, you know, to be legally okay, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they looked good. I mean, they did look nice. Hmm. Yeah, these these ones are off a very uh, very thin or something, some sort of uh, laminate uh, which doesn't look clear like uh, like an obvious laminate. Um, uh, yeah, they're those micarta ones. I reckon that's that that it? material. Yeah, that's often okay. used in knife handle type manufacture. Oh, yeah. I was actually just yeah. looking at those the other day, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, they yeah. they um 
yeah, I mean, they're, they're looking good, and I was suggesting to maybe maybe consider making something like that because, you know, they actually look um, they look quite solid. They look quite good. Yeah, um, and it's definitely an option too if you're one of those guys that has a you know a higher shelf rifle with a really you know superb mm. stock, and you want to preserve that stock. Um, yeah, you can true. Get a facsimile in a you know cheaper wood, cheaper or wood. really it doesn't matter. Or you can you can have it look good, or to just have it practical. Uh, he had those sort of options. Mm. Um, and you can put that really good stock away until you, you know, finish falling off hills and stuff like that, <laughs> chasing samba deer around. Um, so yeah, it's a good idea, really good idea. Well, yeah, those Makata would be an ideal material for rifle stocks for chasing samba and that sort of stuff because I've I've had a little bit of experience handling that stuff and it is tough. Um, yeah, right. It's, yeah, right. It's it's genuinely tough stuff. Um, it'd be interesting to see you know how they how he would actually um, shape that, whether or not he's using sort of, you know, high-speed sort of tungsten bit grinders and, and that sort of stuff because it's, yeah, it's, you know, with the resin that's impregnated into it, it's, it's you know, practically bulletproof. Yeah, I think there was a, I, it may have been on Facebook, I, I had a brief look at some of their stuff um, and it had, well, one of the photos he showed was a whole heap of, slabs of it i guess ready to go um, presumably into a cnc mill of some sort ah, so right, obviously yeah. um yeah i don't think it actually showed the machining process but they're yeah. obviously yeah effectively like slabs of timber almost about to go in and be machined so yeah yeah i imagine they're using some sort of fairly tough cutter to you know would, would need to to avoid yeah. being destroyed pretty quickly by that stuff yeah i'd say so yeah it was uh it was Good to see, and I wish I got hands on with them. But I mean, obviously, talking with Cameron, the um, Cameron about them, they uh, they were good to uh, good to hear that that stuff is uh, sort of common over here and easy to get onto. So, uh, hatches stocks, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure a website or anything like that, but no doubt you'll be able to dig them up if anyone's interested. I know that most of the guys listening will be uh, looking for uh, uh, some sort of synthetic with a or a chassis or something like that. But um, if you want to get a a blued timber stock and shoot prs with it well maybe uh, you break the traditions and do that <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't look bad um the other the other thing that i did catch a, a quick end of was um rob uh fickling from uh, beyond the divide of maroka 30 uh we caught the end of his uh talk uh, which was about hunting big samba and the room was absolutely packed but you can imagine in victoria hunting samba a chat about that from guys mm. who really know what they're doing um yeah it was it was full Room sorry was who was that uh rob from uh, beyond the divide the tv oh, show okay. and yep, yep. Maroka 30 yeah yeah they do a lot of clothing and, and uh, uh, apparel for that sort of thing um yeah. so that was that was good i mean i only got there because i was getting ready for my uh, my talk and um yeah, it was, the room was packed. It's good. Yeah, actually, funny that like uh, when I was at the gun show, I went for a bit of a walk, and there was, uh, and I've forgotten the name of the stand, but it was more focused around butchering and preparation of game food, uh, that sort of thing. But the character that was in there, he'd been like deer <laughs> hunting for like forty years, and yeah, right. So interesting, you know, so much experience and knowledge. And I think that's probably goes to something you've said before, Rusty, is when you're at these shot shows, it's not so much just the product on the shelf. It's the guy behind the counter that is a bit of a feature. A lot of these guys have a lot of knowledge. Um, so if you do go to one of these shows in the future, um, it's good to, to, to talk to the guy behind the counter because they're often oh, yeah. yep. quite a great key to choosing the right products and choosing the right things to suit you. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly. Cool. Uh, Rusty, you, yeah, didn't, uh, you had a... You had an, a, an opportunity to talk at the SHOT Show as well, didn't you? Is that correct? I did, mate. Yeah, we did a talk on uh, getting started in PRS-style shooting uh, on both yep. days. Um, yeah, how'd that go? Which was, which was good. Um, we had a reasonable, uh, quite a reasonable turnout. Um, but also, we, the thing that I really appreciate uh, is that guys hung around afterwards to chat and ask questions and talk about it. So that was yeah. really, uh, really good. Hopefully a few uh, guys might head on down to SA to have a bit of a shoot with us at uh, some point in the future. Should yeah, be excellent. fantastic. Very good. Well, um, unless there's anything else, questions about oh, a shot expo? I, I did buy something. Oh, okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> buy something. Which <laughs> was the name of the company? <laughs> which, uh, which ha- car, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which half of the hall did you buy, mate? Front no, or back? No, I didn't actually buy anything at the show. I just oh, okay. um, 
just before the show. Oh, actually, that's right. You sent me a link. <laughs> that was uh, that was on the second Irish pub on yeah. Thursday night. Yeah, I think I bought it. Uh, yeah, on the, at the you, second Irish pub, I got in the, the dealer's ear and said, "Order that for me now." <laughs> now, um, uh, Brownells oh, at the moment in the US, uh, the the Radius Science Co Radius um, Rangefinder is half price. So it's a bit too yeah. too good to ignore. Yeah, so no, that and, the kill, the, that and the kill turkey certainly that helped the, the decision. Turkey, yeah, yeah. There was no resistance there whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty happy with that deal. You know, that's that's a thousand US down to five hundred US. So that's that's um, pretty sweet. So that's that's on the way. So looking now, forward to that. Greg, just just to to clarify, is that the rangefinder that actually sits on top of the scope? Is that the yeah, is that yeah, so it's uh, it's rail mounted um, scopes. You can have it above your above your scope. You can have it out to the side of your rifle. Um, yep. Yeah. So just rifle mounted uh, rangefinder. Uh, yep. It can range on on you know button press or it can be continuous. Um, yeah, I've I've mainly got that for my thermal setup so that because uh, when you look through thermal, it's it's very flat. It's very hard to get any depth perception through the image. Yep. So um, I've made, you know, errors judging range. So I'm hoping that puts an end to those errors and uh, I'll start, I can start engaging a bit more confidently at, at range. Uh, so that's the plan. So I'm looking forward to getting hold of that. How do you uh, intend to mount that on? Well, that's, you know, in previous uh, podcasts, I've talked about getting a chassis. Ah, right. Because yep. I don't have an option at the yep. moment. Um, I'm looking at temporary options until I get a chassis, which is um, like a rail that is a scope tube mounted rail, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, uh, Basically um, replaces the top ring cap of your yeah, scope rings. Yeah, there's top ring cap. I've seen ones that are a separate ring. Yeah, go around the tube. behind the ring cap, like the front ring cap. And there's I've seen other ones that as long as you've got four... Picatinny rail slots slots between your scope rings. You can fit it in, and it goes off to the side. Okay, but you know, I'm just sort of just investigating those options at the moment. Yeah, so I can get it up and running. Um, but the the end game is to to have it on a chassis um, with a folding stock for in the car and um, having that maneuverability inside the car. So yeah. Gee, where did you ever think of that idea, Greg? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> some 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 wise man once said, nah. no, I got it from you, mate. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a good idea. And, um, you know, to really get that thermal, I guess, roll rocking, I, I mm-hmm. really need to go down the, the chassis line to really bring out the maximum potential, I guess, in the way I shoot. You know, yeah. I do a lot of spotlighting and a lot of cabin-based uh, shooting, I guess. Um, I mean, so. you spend good money on a thermal. There's no point sort of hamstringing it by not giving yeah. it its full potential. So. Exactly right. And you're a gadget man. And I like gadgets. Well, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> no. Technology that. And, hu- and hunting and shooting do mix, by the way. Yeah. yeah. can tell because you're getting results. Yep. You're getting results. Excellent. All right. Well, we shall move on from Shot Expo. Is there anything else going on um, that you you know of? Gentlemen, we anything else to bring up right. or discuss? Obviously, the PRS is very yep. close. PRS um, is what a week and a bit away, yep. so that should be good. I'm off to Mudura on Tuesday, Tuesday night to go and help set up. Uh, yep. which should be good. So yeah, I guess we'll see how that um, see how that goes and let everyone know. But uh, yep. yeah, look forward to uh, look forward to seeing it. The um, you're not uh, getting down there for that, are you, Ben? No, unfortunately, timing wise. Um, I'm um, I'm going to be moving from the Gold Coast down to New South Wales, so which would put me, you know, my Pretty ultimate close. destination is only about two and a half hours away from Mildura. But um, yeah, I'll be unfortunately be in no position to to go at that point in time, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but uh, yeah, it would be good to catch up with quite a few of the guys who who I met at the at the PRI. Mm. in that sort of environment. Yeah, but um, mm. no, no, I'd just be keen to find out how everyone goes in the end. You know what will happen is that, you know, sort of a, a, a month or two after the uh, Mildura shoot, once you've moved, there'll be a, a, a Gold Coast PRS yeah. <laughs> that'll happen straight after. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, 
it's one thing about the uh, about southeast Queensland is um, you know in spite of the fact that you know um, you know Scotty Patel and Andy McNeil and you know there's a whole you know um, Tim from Extravision you know a whole host of of shooters who like long range shooting and yeah um, it's really really difficult to do any kind of you know PRS style yeah style shoots um, and it's yeah it's just uh, sadly been you know been a bit of a, a no-go up here. Um, it's all just waiting on you to move, mate, that's all. It's, it's just hinging on the fact that as soon as you get out of there, it'll all happen. Pretty, pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. And look, I'm I'm okay with that. I've resigned myself to that fact. Um, I just have to, you know, make the trip across to, uh, to South Australia every once in a while and annoy you blokes. Sounds uh, sounds good, mate. Well, yeah. the, more, the more shoots around the country, the better, I reckon. It'd be great, great to see some open up in, in Queensland, so... Yeah, yeah, well yeah. and truly. Well and truly. Mm. So, gentlemen, um, for those who are listening who don't know, well, they're not going to know about, or most of them won't know about Ben either, but for uh, for everyone except for me, you guys have all uh, spent your time in the military, be it for a few years or for many years. And um, I guess I, I wanted to ask you, uh, all three of you, um, you obviously had you know a reasonable amount of experience with firearms within the military, and, and I'm curious to know sort of to what extent you did that, and and what the the because I guess a common perception for people who haven't been in that environment, they think oh well, you obviously shoot a lot in the military, and yeah that's where you get all your training from, you get good at it, and um, I just wonder how to what extent that is true. Um, I know you guys are all have been in different parts of that, um, and curious you know where that whether that was true or what part of that was true for you and whether you had an interest in firearms afterwards or whether that's where it's come from. Sorry, whether you had an interest in firearms prior to that and then later on we'll cover off your interest in firearms since that time. So who wants to jump in first? I reckon we'll uh, kick it across to our guest for the night, Ben. All right, Ben. Tell oh, us a little bit, of, you know, whatever you can tell us about and um, and we'll go from there. No dramas. Um, um, now, I, I had an interest... Um, in firearms and sports shooting and hunting um, well before I joined the Army. So I, I had a, a junior um, a junior licence um, back when you could, you know, do pistol shooting and, and rifle shooting under adult supervision from the age of 13. So, um, and, you know, I, I, was, I was always drawn to, to, to Army. Um, so left straight out of high school. Um, one thing I found was um, that you don't do as much shooting in army as you think when you mm. join. Um, and, I'm, and I'm I, seeing nods in the room here. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of slow nodding. Um, yeah, it's it's you do you do a, a bit of shooting in your basic training, um, and and then you know and then from there it's you know you shoot as often as is necessary to maintain your your level of training. Um, whatever, you know, and that changes depending on where you, you're posted and what job role. Um, sometimes it could be as little as twice a year um, and, you know, a bit of simulation training thrown in. Um, other times, you know, leading up to deployment, you'll do, you'll, you'll do lots of shooting. Um, and the more advanced the, the sort of training that you're doing, the more dynamic it is. Um, but for the vast majority of the time, it's just, you know, Often static range stuff, um, which, to be fair, you know, when you're really chomping at the bit to, to hook right in that stuff, is a little, it's a little bit underwhelming. Um, and I think you know, a couple of, a lot of, lot of guys who I know that have um, shot before and and after serving, um, have all said the same thing. So um, yeah, so that's, I've I've maintained my interest in. In sport shooting and and hunting um, right throughout my career, um, and 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 beyond. So, yeah, um, yeah. So I guess that's sort of that's my background to it. Um, yeah. How so, long how long were you uh, you in the in military for, Ben? Um, I I um, look. I was I was dropped on my head as a child and. Um, <laughs> Ultimately, so you're in um, infantry then, were you? Or? No, no, I was a combat engineer. Um, started out in artillery, which is uh, up in Woodside. Which um, we we're talking about this just before. Obviously, we came on that um, 
yeah, coincidentally, Greg and I served in the same unit at the same time, um, <laughs> which is which, which is quite remarkable. Yeah, I got some great um, stories which you'll know as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Um, but we better leave them. Which, off which here. I bet you're not going to tell us. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, yeah, thank thank Christ, YouTube wasn't around when we were there. F- further further irony onto that, Ben, just quickly is uh, my section commander when I was at Kapuka doing my recruit training was from 16 AD as well, so. Oh, no, oh, him really? too. <laughs> yeah, Greg, Greg, yeah, Greg knows who I'm talking about. So. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, I probably know who he is. No, you will. Um, I'm sure will. you would. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think he's no longer in. Um, yes, correct. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, we won't, <laughs> we won't name the guilty party. So. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Where were we headed with that? Um, I asked how, how long you said you were a you know, combat engineer. Oh, yeah, yeah, then... yeah. So, uh, yeah, 20, 20 years um, yep. is, uh, has been the, the span of my... Uh, my time in army um, started out in Woodside and um, then uh, went across to Duntroon and did officer training and graduated there and uh, went to combat engineers and um, spent uh, spent some time in Townsville um, and you know other training establishment postings and that sort of stuff and um, was uh, fortunate enough to be uh, a squadron commander or essentially a company commander in um, in Adelaide. For 2012, 2013, which was, which was a real highlight. So, um, yeah, but wow. uh, yeah, no, it's 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 been really good, um, and I don't regret it for for a second. So, yeah, very fortunate, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I think I joined roughly about the same time you did, Ben. I I joined in mm. March '97. Um, yep. Yeah, and, and I was an armourer, so yep. again, probably exposed to. Well, you know, firearms every day, really. Um, but unfortunately, in my role, it was mainly fixing them and <laughs> watching other guys shoot them and break them, and then I'd fix them. And Andrew, did you? Yeah. Did you? Were you into firearms, like shooting, hunting before you joined the army, or did you? Pick yeah, it up along the way, certainly the interest was there. In in that, uh, I joined straight out of school as well, and I was only seventeen, um, mm. so I didn't. There's a song about that. Yeah, and that was nineteen. Actually. Nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was almost a song about it. Yeah, but it yeah, released two there. years later. Yeah, <laughs> no, but um, so no, I I wasn't didn't actually own any firearms by that stage because I wasn't old enough to, but you know just mad keen, you know I just mm. I knew that's what I wanted to do and you know I obviously passed all the the aptitude testing and whatnot to to join needed my parents' approval to join I was that young, yeah, right. but um, <laughs> no I ended up you know I was in a and two cab up in Darwin so we did a fair bit of shooting but it was. At that time, when I was in, there was no sort of exciting things happening around the world, so there wasn't mm. as much shooting as anyone would like. But um, Same. yeah, I, I mean, I guess from my point of view, I got, it was good in that I got exposed to a lot of variety of firearms, you know, mm. from you know, pistols right up to the, you know support weapons sort of stuff. So yeah, that was good, and and also you know, I I took every opportunity to shoot. You know, I'd be mm. regularly at the range for days on end. You know, while various you know, various units would come through you know we got loaned out to infantry units and that sort of thing and okay yeah right and so i took every opportunity i could to shoot so I probably shot more than than most of the armorers did but that was only because of sort of personal interest yeah. yeah um and then yeah i mean i sort of as soon as i was old enough you know young and stupid and had money i first rifle <laughs> i got was a fully custom built you know six two eight four on a custom action, you know, no expense spared. So <laughs> I didn't really look back, but like we were discussing just before the show, um, you know, back then there was very little in the way of the sort of technology we've got now. Hmm. You know, I recall having to, you know, d- do all the hard work as far as working out all your, your trajectories. You couldn't just punch it into your phone and, mm, yeah, and yeah. find that out. Mm. So Probably didn't have a phone. No, no well... Not well. They were massive bricks when I was young, and they cost a fortune. Yeah, and I still remember, you know, just burning through the credit, calling long distance calls from like Albury or Donga to Adelaide. (laughs) But um, texting took a fortnight. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, it it was kind of, you know, I don't really regret a lot of that in that it actually made you learn and understand what's happening. Whereas, you know, this I guess it's fairly rapid advance in sort of technology we got now. Guys yep. are, are entering the sport only recently, and now they're doing really well. You know, they're shooting really well, and because all that sort of technology allows them to do it. And not to say they're not good shooters either, but I think 
you know, you probably get a deeper understanding if you're starting without that and building and growing sort of, I mean, I was, have, haven't stopped shooting. I've, the interest mm. has grown and grown and I've kind of added gadgets and whatnot as they've come available. Would you say that perhaps with some of the technology, it allows people to focus back on the fundamentals more so and, and some of the other stuff that you used to have spent a lot of time thinking about and doing and working out um, is not a distraction. That's why guys are getting through it a bit quicker? Or Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it comes with that is, you know, the disadvantages, you know, they may not necessarily have as sort of in-depth understanding as what's going on because, to gotcha. be honest, you yeah. don't need to. Yeah. Um, you don't need to know what the bullet's doing because there's, there is programs out there that are sufficiently accurate and reliable these days that, you know, you still need to be careful in your data collection and all of that course. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, I know I see a lot of guys that are fantastic shooters and they're getting really good results. Yep. But I think if you start having a technical discussion with them, they're not going to have that depth of understanding, which again, you. Yeah. you don't need to have that to be a good shooter. And, you know, like we were discussing earlier as well, in, you know, say snipers, for example, in the military, I know guys that, that are in that role and they couldn't really care less about shooting as far as a, as a recreational activity. Yep. Um, but they're still exceptionally good shooters, you know, mm. within their roles. But then again, I know guys that are live and breathe shooting, <laughs> you know, every second of their work day and, and their recreation time as well. So. And they spend the time afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, that does pay off, pay dividends as well for them. So. Sure. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Greg, what about what about your experiences, mate? Oh well, for, well for me, um, I've, I've sort of been primarily a hunter from a, geez, from you know probably mid primary school, and I guess <laughs> it started when my my grandpa handed me a slingshot. That's how far back it goes, and I just started immediately putting that to good use, and um, you know went onto the sluggy, the twenty two. So by the time I I finished school and joined the army, I'd done a lot. Um, yeah, quite a bit. Um, Many so, slingshots in the army? No, no. They had these things called SLRs that sort of did right. a much better job. Um, <laughs> okay. So when I joined the army, um, yeah, shooting. How do I put it? Yeah, they used to have like it, back in the old days. They used to think things called live rounds. Like later in my career, because I did twenty-one years, I think the last five years I was in. I didn't shoot a single live round. Wow. Because it all went to simulated. So what? what's simulated? So what is simulated, it? they have this, uh, they call it the WETS. I forgot what it stands for. Weapons Training Simulation System, probably. Um, yep. And basically, you have air compressed. Uh, they had old styles at the time. Um, and it simulated the gas action. Okay. And uh, basically, you shot at a screen, probably... 10 metres away, uh, 15 metres away, that simulated, had an image that simulated, you know, 100, 200, 300, which sure. is the typical military distances that you shoot. And, um, yeah, basically it tracked where your shots went, did your group sizes, you could do scenarios. It was pretty cool, but it's not the same. Yeah, sure. You know? And, um, yeah, anyway, joined the Army. Um, I, I was not in an arms corps. So I was Ramey, so I was a tradesman. So shooting, if you chose not to do much of it, you wouldn't do much of it. Okay. Okay. Yep. So just what uh, Ben was saying in that um, you really only have to qualify. You can cuff your way through. Um, now, for myself, <laughs> I, I like my shooting. So and I used to finish pretty high. We used to do a lot of like battalion shoots and, um, sorry, unit shoots. And, you know, there'd be three, four hundred guys. And usually the top 20 guys would get grabbed for shooting teams. Sure. So in my first sort of 10 years, I was heavily involved with shooting teams um, for the military. So we'd travel. They'd have like, they used to have military district shoots. And then national shoots. So they were actually quite frequent. And in the early days, and then those all started to taper off. They started to disappear, just funding and, um, right. you know, wasn't as many live rounds. They needed to go to guys that needed them. So the competitions all started to disappear towards the end. Uh, I don't know whether they still do them, but it's pretty rare. Um, but because I got involved with shooting teams, I was shooting a lot. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. But my like equivalent week, weekly that or? wasn't interested. No, no. Um, it was more centered around competition. So okay. When a competition was coming up, usually about, oh, I'd be a number of months before, we'd start going out and doing 
practices of the cereals. Okay. So yep. Military shoots for those that don't know, um, and jumping guys if I've not quite hit the mark, but they're primarily positional based shooting cereals. So, you know, really focuses on your like standing supported, standing unsupported, kneeling supported, kneeling unsupported, you're sitting supported, sitting unsupported. I don't know about sitting unsupported, but prone supported, prone unsupported. Those sort of right, like yep. three levels, if you like. Mm-hmm. Three, four. Anyway, um, so it's pretty focused around that. Um, some of the cereals have mag changes, mid cereals. Um, you have snaps and deliberates. So, like. Okay timed exposures and um the other type is is deliberate so it just stays up until you fire your shots um but when it comes to the ballistic side of things as andrew was saying you don't touch on that really at all they give you some fixed aiming points for Mm -hmm. your 100 200 300 they give you some fixed windage marks for your 100 200 300 and then you just memorize those and that's it you know there's no Mm -hmm. actual you don't compute anything you don't you don't use any form of calculator. It's more focused on that positional shooting. So yeah, it's very much sort of similar in my experience. It's a lot of range-based. It's not a lot of sort of field shooting. I mean, you do the yeah. odd field shoot, but predominantly it's Yeah, I think the infantry guys used to do a lot of like live fire exercises and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the primary competitions were mainly um, range-based. We did in the early days used to do stuff where you advanced and went on one knee, and um, before the mechanical ranges come in, we used to do left to right, right to left target walking. Okay. Yeah. Um, they were the good old days. <laughs> I, I didn't see that a lot <laughs> later in my career. I, I think that's because they changed the serials to suit the new mechanical, like electrical ranges. Right. Yeah. Um, that's just a guess. I don't know what the the true story is behind that, but. Yeah, so it's not what you expect, um, but it was still good competition. It was still uh, – they had a point scoring system. If you got above a certain amount of points in some series, that's how you earned your cross rifles. Um, you had to do really well to get your cross rifles. Um, back in my day, I don't know whether it's different now, but if you didn't get your cross rifles, you wouldn't be considered for sniper, and that's how Yeah, you, that's, that's still the – I believe that's still the discriminator. That's still the case, yeah. Yeah, so I believe so. So you sort of had to be on your game for that fundamental sure. positional type shooting yep. to to even, um, you know, be considered for sniper stuff. So, um, yeah, and to get a good score, you really had to practice, like, no doubt about it. Like, there's a few natural guys around. They're pretty rare. Yeah. But um, I know with a lot of units we were in, we used to get, if you're in the shooting team, we'd get round allocations that were quite healthy mm-hmm. and we'd go out for like one weekend a month um, frequently. And then as we got close to a competition, we'd actually go out quite a bit yeah, okay. um, and shoot a lot of rounds, just redoing the serial, redoing the serial, you know, just drilling it, drilling it, drilling it. And that your scores just keep going up and up and up. But um, yeah, but the whole time I was in, I was hunting. Um, I was pretty involved in conservation pest management, so mm-hmm. um, mainly focused on basically feral animals, eradication sure. of feral animals from ecosystems, if you like. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of that, but I was mainly a stalker hunter, gotcha. so a stalker shooter, if you like. Yep. So I didn't actually take really longer shots than three hundred. Um, usually stalk within a hundred. So. For me, ballistic, the whole external ballistic side of things didn't come along until I actually got out of the army, moved back to South Australia, and actually met you blokes and started <laughs> shooting foxes from a long way away. Yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah. So, I no, mean, I, I mean, you I had this problem where I had all these varmints sitting on hills looking at me <laughs> from like 400 meters, and I thought, well, I want to shoot them, and you guys were. And I thought, yeah, I want to get on top of this. So, yeah. The whole ballistic side sort of been more recent mm. for me, probably the last five, five, six years. Yeah. Just one thing that sort of come to mind, Rusty, was probably you know Ben and Greg would agree that I'd I'd be surprised if many guys in the army that are into their shooting would say they had enough shooting. Um, <laughs> I've, yeah, I've not, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I've not met anyone who is into their shooting that has said they've had enough shooting. At yeah, all. good yeah. point. But I mean, the, the, the as you you know touched on at the very sure. start, yeah. you know the 
the, I guess, misconception yep. that the military is just you know, constant shooting. Now, yeah. you know, I've spoken to guys at the very, you know, the top level units in, in the military now, and these are guys that are you know, constantly deployed and this sort of thing, and, and even they complain about not getting enough shooting in. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, okay. You know, and I, I guess, you know, r- when it's right before they're about to get busy, they might sort of get a bit more in, but not as much, well, you know, I had one guy in particular say, not as much as you'd think. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. I mean, I guess it's probably military-wide. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. And sorry uh, to jump in there, Rusty. The other thing about the that sort of shooting is it it's never as dynamic as you really want it to be. And the yeah. reason the reason for that, and and it's one of the strengths of of things like PRS style shooting and that sort of thing. Um, but one of the reasons why it isn't dynamic is because you're training so many people. So mm. you're you're trying to train on mass. So you've got you know potentially a a detail of say ten shooters. And because for safety reasons, you've got to get them all shooting in the same direction at the same time, which, you know, shouldn't be as difficult as it sounds. Um, <laughs> shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you, you know, it really, it really, really limits what you can do. You know, even just the way that you face shooters before they take a shot, you know. It's can, you know, like if you've got shooters, you know, that face sideways and then you get them to turn to, to take a shot, downrange um so you know they face to the left you know turn then raise the rifle and then shoot that's a, a whole additional level of risk that you know for the most part in a training environment the appetite for for that risk acceptance just isn't there so because of, you know and you've got to try and get through say 100 blokes in a day on the range it really really limits the sorts of practice that you can do mm. um you know, it's which, not just that too it's the um I think the military like to minimise training so they can get the lowest common denominator to a, I guess, lowest, lo- lower, not lowest, an acceptable level of, yep. of ability to be able to conduct themselves in a combat zone. You know, it's not about yep. bringing the skill up, up and above expectation. It's about the minimum amount of training. Well, not the minimum the correct amount of training to perform their role to an acceptable level, nothing yep. more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. there is obviously limits, you know, exceptions to that of the, you know, the sort of the top tier units. Yeah, but of course, they go that, beyond. Yep. That is definitely in the minority, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. And I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of you guys, what you're talking about is regular army sort of yeah. information rather than there's obviously some other guys who were... Yeah, special yeah. forces and, you know, yep. those guys, that, that's a whole new level, you know. Well, I don't know what that is. I've never been in the special forces. But, um, yeah, they're obviously higher skilled. Yeah. yeah, and I, yeah. I think, you know, in comparison to when I was in, for example, I think even just regular infantry units, the training would definitely be more advanced and more effective now than it was then. Yeah. And, it, I mean, they've had 10 years or plus of, of combat to, to, you know, to draw on home yeah, techniques well, and that sort of thing, yeah. you know, yeah. like they're starting to change all their training uh, um, philosophy, like from the old section company, you know, sort of British model. It's starting to change more to an American model, but that's probably a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> um, so the whole yeah. training philosophy is changing. Um, yeah, but I'm not talking about special forces again. That's again uh, in its own own class but the lower level sort of section level tactics is starting to change yeah yeah i can i can sort of i've noticed a difference i deployed to afghanistan in 07 and 08 and then went back in uh, 2012 2013 um and just seeing the difference in the level of of training you know in in the space of you know what's that five years um you know, just a whole, a whole, a whole new world away, and that's still just for conventional, you know, conventional infantry units and mm. and that sort of stuff. Not for, not for special forces. And it was, yeah. So they 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 have you know, progressed the training um, in terms of how advanced the practices are and mm. the level of training is, is is really exceptional. And you know, dollar for dollar, it's 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 pretty good now. But it's um, you know, I, I suppose it's been you know, some hard, some hard learnt lessons as well. Um, mm, mm. 
to to get to that point. And I think um, you know, the motivation for individual soldiers is probably a lot greater now. You know, it, when I was in, it was kind of that waiting for something to happen, you know, so you could go and do your job. And now it's a very real yeah. infantry. You, you are point. probably going to be deployed somewhere. and uh, Several times. Yeah, so mm, yeah. being able to effectively use that rifle, exactly. you know, it doesn't really matter if you are interested mm. in shooting from a Keeps personal point of view. Yeah, it's uh, probably a lot more relevant today, I think. Mm. Intriguing. And, and guys, mm. so I guess that the next part of that question... Um, for each of you is that that obviously well now you you've all left but some some have left for longer than others um, the, you've what have you taken away from that experiences in terms of firearms and then obviously you, you all you all had an interest in firearms outside of inside of work during the time period and and that's continued has it helped your growth has it broadened your knowledge yeah I'll, I'll jump in real quick because my answer is pretty quick Um I think the army taught me how to build up a good, solid firing position. Right. Um, you know, with you know the old tests of adjustment. Um, guys that are in been in will know what that means. It's basically you relax. Um, you get behind your rifle, you get in position, and you you get on target. You relax, uh, close your eyes, and then re, I guess readdress your rifle. Then open your eyes, and if your scope ain't directly on. The target, yep. your body isn't centred on the target. You know, th- those fundamental things, like it's a fairly simple exercise, but sure. the main thing I take away from the Army is how to build up a good position sort of from the ground up. Um, I don't know how to explain it any other way. Yeah, it's just the way I build my position comes from the Army. And yeah, okay. I took that away. Um, obviously, I didn't get much ballistically, but that's come later. Yeah, but the positional stuff still stays with me, um, and I, I think a lot of it was solid. You know, um, I did pick up some other stuff from military comp, like we had some mm-hmm. old old hands that had some neat little tricks. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I took away. It's basically the positional build up. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I would say, Rusty. Um, to be honest, I didn't take a huge amount away from it. Um, I said I certainly had a, a huge interest in in anything firearm related prior, and that hasn't waned at all. I guess I got to play with some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Um. I guess if in thinking about the question, probably just um drills. I guess when handling firearms, yeah, okay. you know, like I, I see guys pick firearms up and and it just it's unsafe. <laughs> you know, like mm, I guess yep. the army drills it into you. You know, clearing weapons and that sort of thing and. And so, for me, you know, you, you pick up a rifle, you, you're not sure of its status. Standard thing is to unload it, you know, take a magazine out if need be, open a bolt. But see, for a lot of guys, that that's not second nature. Mm. Um, so I guess that Good kind point. of aspect of it, mm. you know, we... Um, you drill know, You drill it until it's just, you do it without thinking. Yeah, yeah. and I mean... I, I, I saw the first idea hand. of drills. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, but I, I mean, well, well pointed out, Greg. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, you know, I saw firsthand in in uh, one of the units I was in the the result of somebody getting lax with that, and it was a yeah, fatality. Right. So, wow. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of that sort of respect for the for the firearm, I guess, is probably one of the big things I took away. I mean, I, mm. my interest in shooting now, I would have done absolutely zero of that kind of shooting while I was in. Gotcha. Yep. So um, my particular interest stream is is nothing really related to my military service at all, but um, yeah. Yeah, the respect carries through. What about yourself, Ben? You you only recently have left. Mm. Um, Yeah, I'd echo what both Greg and Andrew said. Um, I think, you know, the Army teaches you good fundamentals, your, your marksmanship fundamentals uh, are essentially the same. Um, and when I came and um, and did the the first long range course um, with you down in South Australia, yeah. um, you know, there's no there's practically no difference between what army teaches and and what you know what you know civilian best practices. Um, so so the fundamentals are are sound. 
Um, and an army does teach you how to safely and confidently handle a weapon. Um, I think it's one of the common misconceptions is um, that majority of people sort of go, oh, you were in the army. You must be a really good shooter. And uh, yeah, certainly hear that sort of bandied around a fair bit. Yeah, yeah, and and you know there are some terrible shooters oh, yeah. <laughs> in the defence forces. You know, you just some of them you just shake your head and you know, you know, like so. You know, we've got an we've got an entire detail of reshooters. Excellent. You know, um, mm. so you know it's 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 probably a common misconception, but the fundamentals are good and they're you know safe and confident handling a weapon. Just um, some people just are not are not sort of. I suppose that way inclined to just, you know, can't really sort of um, apply it to the, you know, in the way that it's, it's needed to, to gain a, a reasonable level of accuracy. Um, but again, it's sort of defence is all about scales of economy and it's what's acceptable. Um, but um, one of the things that I, I also found was um, I had a, when I was a kid, I always saw military weapons as being, you know, um, really really cool and awesome and that sort of stuff when I, when you finally get handed one you look at it and you go oh so they're usually beaten i know <laughs> when i i grabbed my first <laughs> one i was it. a beaten up ex vietnam thing that had been thrashed yeah. to death and was just like yeah. rattle rattling around yeah it was knackered yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah yeah and and yeah you sort of go oh okay and then you you realize that it is made by the cheapest bidder um <laughs> and I mean, you know, in spite of in spite of the punishment that they received, they're extremely accurate. You know, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't I couldn't take any of my rifles through, say, a bayonet assault course on a Wednesday and on a Thursday go out to the range and shoot it and expect it to be accurate. Um, so for the punishment that they absorb, it's it's quite remarkable that they that they still shoot. Um, but it's always sort of and and having lugged these things around because they're not particularly light um and you know they're a one-size-fits-all weapon and that sort of stuff it's always sort of intrigued me this this trend um you know within certain sectors of the 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 firearm community to take a regular weapon and try and make it look military in nature um because i i you know i always sort of look at it and think Mate, if you if you had to lug that around every day for six months, yeah. there is no way you would put all that crap on your gun. It just weighs too much. It's it's uncomfortable. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I've I've sort of um, I've always found that you know intriguing, disturbing, amusing. I don't know. You, you know, sort of <laughs> blend those as you will. Um, yeah. So I, I've always sort of I found that have, since serving. I've gone from, you know, when I was a, a teenager, sort of, you know, always wanting to be a soldier and sort of looking and going, yeah, that, you know, it'd be so cool to have, you know, when you, you know, eventually get one of those rifles and you get it and you're like, you know, this thing weighs a ton. Um, <laughs> you know, it does the job and it's your best friend, but, you know, um, when you've got to put it back in the armory, you're not sort of, you know, you're not wiping away tears. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm 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 much fond I'm much more fond of my of my my regular rifles. Yeah, I, I would have to agree 100 percent with that. <laughs> no arguments the, here. The, the illusion <laughs> is shattered fairly quickly. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Because I think that's probably uh, that's that's I find that really interesting to hear, to sit and listen to to what you're saying and um and hopefully that's that's helped and and probably those guys who have uh, been in your positions before are all thinking yeah no I agree with that or maybe their experiences are different perhaps but um. Yeah, and for those who ask who haven't had that experience, uh, yeah, perhaps uh, some of those illusions are not quite so uh, not quite so true. So, yeah, excellent. Army recruiting mm. will love us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we're, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure some people will find it, you know, interesting and enlightening, mm. and in in some respects, I hope so. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and Ben, give us a quick a quick update on on you know obviously you've you shot shot our comp in uh, in April and did some some training with us last year. Where are you up to with your shooting? You've been doing much recently. Um, yeah, I have actually. I've been um, I've been chasing my tail since the PRI. 
Um, right. So I was, yeah, on during the PRI, I was having I was having a few issues that were starting to sort of rear its rear its head towards the end of the the PRI and on Andrew's um, air supply um, uh, shoot. I actually shot out two bolts on on two of the targets. Um, we had to, thanks, thanks for that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause Greg no to hassle and yourself trying to. <laughs> you know, stop practices and get yeah. specially out there to fix it. He needed um, to burn the energy off. It's like all the fuel on the quad bike. Yeah, that's it. But uh, on both of those shots, I had a really good position and hold, good shot release, and knocked the top left bolt out of both of those those uh, those targets. And um, I think that was actually the last the last thing I shot on the PRI. And I sort of remember sort of going. That's um, that's that's a bit sus. I'm not sure what's going on there. So yep. um, anyway, I've I've sort of gone back and you know just went back to shooting groups and the groups have opened up from the you know reasonably or quite substantially I suppose from the time that the the rifle was built. Um, so it's a, a benchmark barrel, um, heavy Palmer, um, Remington action, um, and when I when I first when it was first built um, by uh, Group Solutions in in the ACT, it shot you know um, you know one hole groups mm. um, and uh, so that was the load I took to the PRI. So I've sort of it's sort of gone. I suppose the groups have opened up a bit. Um, so it's sort of it's like I suppose the rifles you know taste has has changed a little bit. So now I'm sort of going back through my load development to try and find the right sort of node that that replicates or, or gets me back towards the the, uh, the sorts of groups that I was achieving when I first first had the rifle. So, um, yeah, but it's a 300 wind mag, so, um, and I was pushing the pills pretty quick, um, but you know, I don't think I've, certainly don't think I've done any d- damage to the throat. Mind you, I do have some loose primer pockets now, so... Yeah, so that's 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 been yeah I've been sort of going down the rabbit hole on that one. Frustrated by the sounds of it. Uh, yes, yeah, it is. Um, I'd like <laughs> to say it's a it's a delightful journey of self discovery, but um, <laughs> I'm not. no no I'm just sort of I'm I'm sort of left scratching my head of you know sort of dismantle the rifle and put it all back together and you know tension everything up and everything's staying tight, which is good. Um, but um, yeah, I'm just sort of I'm. I'm sort of, you know, working away there to try and see if I can't sort of get those get those groups down, and I'm reluctant to sort of start playing with seating depth again. Um, but I may have to go down that path if, you know, if I'm sort of not not quite getting the results that I'm after. So yeah, okay. Yeah, how mm. many rounds you put through it? Um, it is uh, running at uh, three hundred and. 28 rounds at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you copper strip? Um, I, I do, yes. Um, so I've been, I've been stripping the, uh, the copper because um, I find that, you know, it will, the first two shots on a, cl- on a cold clean barrel mm. um, will, be, will be a bit off, but after that, it, yeah, it'll come it in when it fails. Yeah, yeah. yeah, once it fouled, it used to come in really tight. It was absolutely bloody fantastic so um mm. but um yeah i may i may have to i haven't i've deliberately just run a a patch through it without any solvent on it just to take you know a bit of the muck out but i've left yeah. copper in the barrel so for my next shoot at um at the weekend when i go back out i'll see if if uh, if that doesn't improve things as well so i've got a, a load which you know the group size is sort of they opened up to about about an inch, an inch and a half, yeah, um, okay. and I yeah had had one sort of um, load there that that shrank down a bit um, to about three quarters of an inch. So I'm going to start playing around that, I think, and, mm. uh, and see if I can't develop that a bit further. But yes, so that's that, and I just ordered a new barrel for a uh, a, um, a six point five. So I had to sell my Ruger Precision, um, having going from Queensland. Where it's perfectly ah, of legal to yeah. New South Wales. Yep. So um, it's a dark, scary gun. 
Yes. It is. It is. I mean, God only knows what it could do left to its own devices. Yeah. Um, Fine in Queensland, though. Humidity yeah, must yeah. be the right point. <laughs> it so um yeah so i've i've uh, got a, a madco barrel on order and um and that'll come through when it comes through and um my plan is to make that to a uh, a defiance um hunter or defiance Gee, greg's I, I happy ben's yeah. got more money than me <laughs> no that's awesome well, well yeah like it's, just, it's, it's just me and the dog mate so uh <laughs> you know it keeps oh, me out I'm of the pub it. that's for sure yeah yeah, yeah. so um yeah so that's the uh that's, but that's probably going to take place sometime over the next six months by the time yeah. all those bits and pieces finally finally arrive and um, and my gunsmith can can fit me into the into the calendar. So lots of shooting stuff going on. It's just not going quite as as, as well as I was, as, as I was hoping yeah yeah but it, I mean it, all shooting stuff's good shooting stuff so I just uh, going back on your uh, looks like sounds like you're dropping off node. I've just got mm-hmm. a question for Andrew. I think we talked about it on a previous podcast. When you get a new barrel, you quite often get slight muzzle velocity. Is it increases? Slight increase as time goes on? And would it, yeah, that's Would what, that be enough to nick him off node, you reckon, if he had a small node? Look, it could be. I mean, I, I would personally check a number of other things as well. You know, I would, yep. mm. I would confirm the scope yep. first as being yep. definitely not an issue. Yeah. Um, it could. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't normally see that level of decrease in accuracy just mm, if you'd yeah. increase by 20 or 30 feet a second normally it, it's yeah, going to be a, a still be on there's a bit of a incremental. plateau there isn't there usually yeah you're yeah. not going to sort of okay you've gone up 20 feet a second now we're going to go from quarter inch to inch and a half that's mm. doesn't sound like a unless course, he was on an edge yeah mm. uh, this could this be a combination uh where batch of powder change yeah. could that be a factor could be another factor. definitely mm. yeah yeah well i've been i've been running Triple two five, um, but I could only buy it in the five hundred gram yes. <laughs> yep. gram um, tub. So you know, um, and I'm sort of running. You know, the old load was pretty hot at seventy eight point two grains, um, but uh, yeah, I've sort of dropped it down. But that's still, you know, for one tub, you're only getting a about a hundred rounds out of it. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, if you're a bit short, you know, I'll always, you know, end up doing sort of half a tub of, of you know, what remains and then half a tub of the next one, um, which is, you know, less than ideal. Yeah, but, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I just wonder whether I've, – I've certainly seen that for uh, – um, gentlemen, you guys know Dan. Uh, he had that sort of issue with the – Two to oh eight, change batch number, and it opened right up. Um, I've not experienced it myself, fortunately. No, I, I haven't personally either. I mean, it certainly could. Hmm. You know, if it's, anyway, just hmm. ideas for Ben to, to continue to try. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if anyone is listening and has a suggestion, <laughs> um, I think he's pretty happy to take any suggestion he can at the moment. Yeah, so, I'll, uh, I'll I'll listen to anyone who's. Who's got any uh, any ideas on um, on how to sort of you know get a three hundred wind mag back on song? Yeah, um, yeah, be greatly yeah. appreciated. Sounds good, guys. Excellent. Well, Ben, thank you very much for joining us this evening, and uh, guys, thank you for coming in uh, as usual. It's wonderful no to have you on board, and uh, yeah. we uh, I guess we'll be um, uh, we we will have another special podcast coming up in the next uh, week or so. Um, which uh, we'll obviously release details as we get to it. And, um, yeah, beyond that, we'll see you guys all in a couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Scoped Out Shooting Optics and Accessories.